What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! Some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today on Tuesday morning. Did you know that in the last six games of the regular season, Amonra St. Brown was a top three wide receiver? Rashad Penny was a top two running back. You might not be too surprised to know that. Meanwhile, how about the bad? Ezekiel Elliott, in his last 12 games, including the postseason, his last 12 games, he had one carry. That went longer than 13 yards. It was in week 18 against the Eagles backups. And also in Dallas, CeeDee Lamb finished the season with eight straight games without a touchdown. That included the postseason. And six straight games with 66 or fewer receiving yards. So some good and some bad. We're going to talk about it right now. The title is second half. It's not necessarily second half. It's stretches broken down one way or the other. Adam, Dave, and Jamie here. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to throw it over to Jamie Eisenberg. Jamie, give me one second half quote-unquote, second-half performance that you're buying, one that actually resonates with you as you look to do your, some early rankings in 2022? I'm buying, hopefully, Devin Singletary, that what we saw from him down the stretch and in the playoffs is a sign of things to come, that Buffalo found their guy, and that they're not going to address the position this offseason, that they're going to make Zach Moss the backup, and they're just going to bring in another veteran sort of retread guy to be the uh, emergency running back there like we saw with Matt Breida. So hopefully what we saw from Singletary uh, basically from like week 14 on uh, through the playoffs is, is what we're going to get in 2022. And he could be a solid number two running back for the majority of the season. Hey, Dave. Hi, I am buying the way that Elijah Moore played when he came back from his first injury. Love the way that he was able to get open downfield and also in the short area. Did well with the backup quarterbacks with the Jets. Started to get some positives going with Zach Wilson. I would imagine that as Wilson gets better as a quarterback, he'll help more get better as a wide receiver. Both of them obviously going into their second year. And I'm kind of banking on the fact that the Jets fortify that offensive line just a little bit more. That'll be a strength. Wilson, more. They're going to be able to be excellent, and they take that step forward in their second season. And the Jets' passing game actually helps fantasy managers for once in the you know, franchise's history, I guess. <laughs> he's 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 somebody that I'm very excited about for next year. Yeah, boy. When was the second half? From week six to week ten? I mean, it wasn't the whole second half, obviously, but when he came back from the injury from the beginning of the year, I thought he played great. And then once he got hurt again, obviously you can't do anything with that. So 
someone his second half not exactly the last eight weeks of the season or whatever the second half of someone his who season. i'm buying who had a great second half of the year second, second half, of half his is year. right right yeah so it's basically from you start with six catches for 67 yards in week eight against the Bengals. that's not bad and from that point on he was really good he scored five touchdowns in the next five games he had an 84 yard game against the colts 141 yards against the dolphins 77 yards against the eagles this is elijah moore we're talking about and Remember watching it, he's beating Xavier Howard. He's beating Byron Jones. He's beating Darius Slay. He really had a great finish to his season, but he missed the last five games with a quadriceps injury. Okay, how was Valentine's Day, guys? Lovely? It was pretty good. The baseball practice. That was fun. Oh, right, right. I just you told had baseball you. practice. We, we brought in Greek food. I tried some Greek food that I, I've never had before. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Kafte or Kefte? They're like meatballs, but not necessarily like meatballs. Oh, good description. Ground meat with, there's like mint in there, like a hint of mint. And the one that I had was in like this tomato stew with some feta cheese. It was really good. Yeah, it's it's hard to find bad Greek food. They Almost every dish is delicious. You ever, yeah. you, you like uh, moussaka? Never had it. Yeah. That might be next on the hit list. That's your neck. That's uh, it's like an eggplant, ground beef kind of macaroni type of thing it's so how eggplanty is it because i'm not a big fan of eggplant i guess it's fairly eggplanty but it's i think you can get past it i really do try try my my kids laugh every time they text a an eggplant emoji i don't know why because <laughs> they i mean it's just a vegetable asking right? for moussaka I mean, they, the they want you to get them some, some i Greek guess food. so yeah. i don't know what's up with that all right so jamie's buying devin singletary well hoping to buy devin singletary he really was uh the lead back which we just had not seen in buffalo in his last five games he was top three running back actually not as good as rashad penny but he was quite good uh and dave said elijah moore okay so a second half performance that you're selling jamie i'm selling that cd lamb is bad uh, I think you're going to see a much better performance from him in 2022, his third year in the NFL. Uh, I think what Troy Aikman said, they're going to take the heart, uh, you know, when he, you know, really was um, frustrated. And I think a lot of fantasy managers as well uh, from the playoffs, basically through the final three games of the season. So, you know, if you backtrack where they just weren't throwing them, throwing them the ball, you know, and as Aikman said, when you have a great player, you got to get him going. And I, I think Kellen Moore will listen to that type of philosophy. I think Dak Prescott will listen to that type of philosophy. I think they'll go in knowing, you know, what whatever their their receiving core is going to look like because Michael Gauss, a free agent, if he does come back, he's coming off an ACL. Dalton Schultz is a free agent. We'll see if he comes back. So, you know, two important pieces that they may have to replace. Uh, but in any event, I, I think CD Lamb is going to take that step forward that we had hoped to see in his sophomore campaign. Um, I, I think they'll realize their mistakes, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with what CD Lamb will do in his third year in the NFL. Yeah, so when you look at Lamb versus, I think we've had this debate before, but let's do it again now that we're fresh off the Super Bowl. Lamb or Higgins? I think I have Higgins higher. Um, I'll probably go back to Lamb, but I think it's close. And how much does Michael Gallup's presence matter? I just gave Dave a quick assignment to look up C.D. Lamb's splits, yards per target in the slot and out wide, uh, which I thought was pretty dramatic last year, as I recall. So as he looks that up, Jamie, how much would a Michael Gallup return affect him if, if we assume right now that Gallup won't be back? Uh, I think you'd actually like to see Michael Gallup back as opposed to them making a big move there, you know, and, and it'd be a surprise, but, you know, we didn't expect him to draft C.D. Lamb after they signed Amari Cooper to his deal 
So they're not opposed to, uh, you know, going big on the offensive side of the ball, the skill position spots. Um, if it's more like, you know, said Wilson, and, and again, Wilson was a problem for CeeDee Lamb down the stretch and certainly in the playoffs um, or the, the final games of the season once Gallup tore his ACL, uh, then I think, you know, you're not as concerned about it. But, you know, if it's if it's a big-time signing, um, then I think you're a little bit more worried about where CeeDee Lamb comes out. I just think it's, you know, you, you could put him inside, you could put him outside. It's more just a matter of, getting him going early, featuring him in the offense. You know, it's not a matter where he lines up. It's a matter of just getting right. him the ball because he's going to win wherever he is. They just have to give him the opportunities to have that success once he does win. He he really did win wherever he was. I'm looking at the splits that you asked for, Adam. Uh, his catch rate was 64.8% when he was out wide, 66.7% when he was in the slot. So very good in both situations. Yards per target, out wide, 9.9. In the slot, 8.2. It's, that's it's a big difference. for the course. That's a big. Difference. I don't think that that's what's up. That's a pretty big difference. It is. He has more targeted. Like, I don't think there's one that I don't think it necessarily means that he's worse at one than the other. Well, like I, 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 he was much worse when Gallup played. Uh, hmm. You know, except the last two games, week 18, when he had Dak Prescott through for five touchdowns and he had almost nothing. And then the playoffs again, almost nothing. But I mean, that. That was what was so frustrating to me. So I, I, I had this beautiful, beautiful narrative. What's wrong with Ceedee Lamb? Well, he's playing in the slot, and when Gallup was the, was out, he wasn't playing in the slot that much, and he was, he was out much wide. much better. And then yeah. Gallup got hurt, and I thought, all right, problem's going to be solved, and it just wasn't. So that ruined my narrative a little bit. But I will tell you that that the numbers were much better when Gallup was out for those seven games, yeah. and his numbers, Lamb's numbers were great when he did line up wide. He's just more explosive, more explosive plays. Ten more explosive plays when he was out wide compared to in the slot. And he ran uh, more routes from out wide than in the slot, but still just a huge comparison. Higher air yards per target, higher yards per route, yards per catch, route depth, all the, all yards after catch per reception. All the metrics suggest that he was more explosive when he was out wide versus the slot. Yeah, and I don't think that, if I recall, I don't know if you could look this up, I don't know that that was the case in his rookie year, so it doesn't necessarily mean that would carry we can over. Look. We got it. Yeah, I don't know that would carry over, but that that is what happened. At least that's what the numbers would say. Um, and while, and, all right, and then Dave's going to tell us the second half performance. He's not buying real quick, though. I'll tell you, hey, now's the time. Football's over. We got a lot of sports that are going on right now. It's a great time in sports. Hopefully baseball can get its act together and get going. But you need to uh, get that CBS Sports app. It is a great app, by the way. Scores are right Love in front it. of you when you open it up, and you can stream anything that's on CBS, for example, right from your app. Um, it's uh, it's not just the best scoring app on your phone, but it's also where you get breaking news alerts and stories by by us, by Dave and Jamie and Heath and Chris and and Prisco and etc. Uh, standing schedules, team pages, and all the sportsy digital stuff you're used to. Of course, if a game is airing on CBS, you can stream it on the CBS Sports app. So download it re-download it if it's got that little cloud logo next to it on your phone. And you know we love those five-star ratings, so don't hesitate to drop one of those for the CBS Sports app. Adam, do you know how many routes C.D. Lamb ran from lining up out wide as a rookie? Uh, probably not that many. <laughs> Take a guess. Uh, one through 1,000. Take a guess. Jamie, you can guess. Two. 58. 58 for Adam. Jamie, you got a guess? 75. No, I'm going to go 103. You're both too high. And both your guesses are too high. 31. So the data that we've got from his rookie year, he ran 483 routes from the slot. He was their slot guy last year. 
and they moved him out wide or two years ago. He was their slack guy last year when they moved him out wide, more explosive. It'll be interesting to see how they move forward with him, but the door is definitely open for CD lamb to take that next big step. Okay, Dave, give me a second half performance that you're selling. I hate to say this because he was so good, but it was the first time in his entire career that he was this good. And that's Rashad Penny finally was able to get over being hurt, got an opportunity to play for Seattle. And finally, finally, after what, four years, he took advantage and looked like a first-round pick at running back. Now he's a free agent. We don't know where he's going to play. We think it's going to be Seattle. It might just be a short-term deal there. But even if it's Seattle, that's a team that's probably not going to give him every single touch and turn him into a workhorse. With Carson coming back, it just makes sense that they could just mix and match those two guys. He was fun to watch, and he was good while he lasted. But I'm going to have a hard time being excited to draft Rashad Penny no matter where he plays because I can't imagine that he's going to stay healthy for a long time or that he'll be a workhorse running back getting 70% of the snaps, something like that. So give me an approximate round that you're thinking if they re-sign him, if he's back on Seattle, what do you think for Penny? I can tell you that in my non-PPR rankings, I've got him as a round, late round seven. Oh, that's really late. Really yeah, I don't late. Want him. Okay. I don't want him. Okay, Jamie. Now, listen, hold on, hold on. Yeah. I don't want him as of now. I got to preface it because what if he go? What if he stays in Seattle and Seattle lets go of Chris Carson and they they don't really have a good alternative and they just put all their faith and trust in Penny? Then the only downside to Penny is what we all know, which is the injuries. There's still going to be that injury risk with him. Uh, it's the same type of injury risk that you might assign to Christian McCaffrey or to Saquon Barkley, but it's not going to be at the price tag that those two guys are going to bring on draft day. So maybe he can move up if he gets through training camp in the preseason and just looks like he's going to be an absolute monster. I can buy into him at an earlier price tag than round seven. Okay, Jamie, what are your thoughts on on Penny? And I'll just, last six games, he was number one running back in non-PPR, number two in full PPR. And that included the first game of that stretch was with 10 carries for 35 yards and one catch for 27 yards against the Niners. He also really struggled at the Rams. Not coincidentally, those are two of the best run defenses in football. But for this six-game stretch, he averaged 6.9 yards per carry. He was on a 17-game pace of exactly 2,000 rushing yards and 17 rushing touchdowns and only 17 catches. So give me your thoughts on Penny. Penny, for your you know, thoughts. We talked about you know last night with FFT and 5. Uh, I think, like I said, his best-case scenario is if he stays in Seattle because I think if it's him competing with Chris Carson, they've almost been begging Rashad Penny to take that job from Chris Carson. Uh, when he was supposed to be healthy and supposed to be on the field and supposed to be the better of the two running backs. And I think that's the way that they feel about him. And you saw the stretch last year that he finally delivered on that promise, but he didn't do it with Chris Carson in competition. So if it comes back to where it's those two guys again for the same job, or if it's Chris Carson, or excuse me, if it's Rashad Penny and somebody else, you know, we've, we've seen them bring in many, many guys that just have been of this retread scenario, um, you know, even going back to Adrian Peterson last year. Uh, I think you look at, at Penny is in a good spot. So the earliest I would buy in if he's back with Seattle and it's just Chris Carson at the second spot or the 1A spot on the depth chart, then I think round five is the earliest I would consider it. Uh, I would prefer to do it in round six. Uh, round seven, obviously, I think is good value if, if, if you're going to get him there, but I don't think you will. I think people would start buying into him in round four if he comes back to Seattle and it's just Chris Carson. So um, he'll get a little overhyped, I think. Uh, probably safer to consider him more of a bust than a you know full breakout. You know if you're looking at you know taking the sample size and saying it's going to be extrapolated over a full season. But Seattle, I think, is the best spot for him, and Chris Carson's the best competition for him because I think that's what Seattle would like to see is him being the lead guy. 
Adam, you actually got Penny in late round seven in our half PPR mock draft. I was actually just looking that up right now. Mm-hmm. That's uh, and then Shaggy B got him at 79th overall in the full PPR draft. Boy, I'm very happy to have gotten him in round seven. But remember, that was a draft where we didn't have rankings, so you know that's the kind of guy that could slip through the cracks a little bit. Yep. What what really strikes me about Penny is there were only this is a guy who had 102 carries in those last six games, and that may, it may have been basically it for the season. I don't know. He had like 110 carries, something like that. There were only two running backs in the entire league that had more 20 yard, 20 or more yard carries than him, and they were Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb, and they both had significantly more carries than Rashad Penny. He was breaking huge runs. So on a, on 100... He's running against the Texans, right? What's that? I think he's still running against the Yeah, Texans. right. Huge game. 119 carries for Penny, and he had 11 carries that went for 20 or more yards. That is ridiculous. He was the only running back with fewer than 130 carries who had more than four big runs. If you want to call a 20-yard run a big run, he had 11, and he's the only running back with, with fewer than 130 carries who had more than four, and that really jumped out at me. Uh, does you know? Does that move the needle? To I, you know, I love big plays, and unless I see a guy stack them two years in a row, I don't know that they're coming back. As Devin Singletary in his rookie year, he had a lot of big plays, and those went away. But that did jump out at me. I mean, he, the guy the guy was insanely good, and just making big plays. The schedule broke right for him. Fresh legs at the right time. You know, late in the season, you have a guy like this who's, who's certainly got the explosiveness. I mean, this is what he did in college. You know, he was a big play guy in college. And so can he do that, you know, over, you know, 13 plus games, 14 plus games? That's the biggest question because he just has a hard time staying healthy. So where he ends up, who he ends up competing with, the offense that he plays and if he leaves, those are all things that you have to, you know, kind of wait and see on. So, you know, I think, again, for me, I'd like to see him stay there, not have a lot of competition because I do think that this front office, this coaching staff really is backing him. They stuck with him despite all of the injuries. And we'll see if they stick with him with a, you know, contract that kind of reflects paying him to the level of what a starting running back, not at the superstar level, gets right now. If that's the case, then I think that kind of tells you what his role will be going into 2022. Okay. And if you want to buy a different non-football narrative or non-stat narrative or something, he actually credited his success, some of it anyway, to Adrian Peterson being there. He said just in the brief time Peterson was there, Rashad Penny was able to uh, to learn some stuff. He also said, you know, I mean, which is telling and, and, and kind of speaks to where we are as uh you know, critics of football players and, you know, oh, yep. Yep. you know, talking about how the, the stuff on social media got to him. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was obviously a, a bust in the NFL draft. And, you know, the comments certainly reflected that, uh, uh, directed at him, uh, about him. You know, we've been critical of him um, because we had high expectations, you know, where he was drafted and, and the role he was playing. So, you know, kudos to him to overcome all those things. And, and hopefully he's a more mature person and, and you know, it's, it's reflective of his play. All right, I'm going to take a look at a few news and notes, and then we'll get back to the good and the bad from the last half-ish of 2021. The Dolphins have hired an offensive coordinator. It is Frank Smith. He is the Chargers run game coach. And I think we're going to be just, it's one of those situations where we're just focusing on the head coach rather than the coordinator, right? Yeah. Everything you read about this guy, though, he's, you know, just gotten rave reviews about what Genius. he's done, where the places he's been, for mostly for his offensive line. Um, you know, coaching and uh, what he's gotten out of the tight end play. So, you know, two areas of concern for the Dolphins if Mike Gusecki leaves. So we'll see how things go there, you know, what they do in terms of addressing the offensive line and addressing their tight end spot. But 
Um, those the, those two things I think are, are are noteworthy to see what Miami does. You talking genius, about Fra- genius, genius? <laughs> you talking about Frank Smith or Mike McDaniel? Frank Smith. Okay, yeah, Frank Smith is their new coordinator. Odell Beckham unfortunately tore his ACL, and that stinks. But uh, those can be those could be speedy recoveries at this point. So we'll see if what we can round now make it back. for OBJ. Where is he playing? Rams. L.A. Is Woods back? Yes. Is McVay back? Yes. Yes. Is Whitworth back? No. Mm, no. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I, was like, I mean, if he's, if he's with the Rams and Woods is back, he's a double-digit round guy coming off an ACL tear. Yeah, 9-10. You, you can draft him. He might end up starting the year on the pup list, so you could probably stash him. Then you can pick up a guy off waivers after your draft if you want to. Okay. Late pick. And DK Metcalf said, based on how the Rams get guys back healthy, he might be back, you know, by by minicamp. Right, right. (laughs) He'll be he'll be running by mid March. Uh, DK Metcalf said he played through a foot injury, but he said it did not affect him much. And yes, DK Metcalf is on today's show. Uh, DK Metcalf had surgery yesterday to remove a screw from his foot. Right, he was in a walking boot. He said that he. Well, that's why. Yeah, he said he played through a foot injury, but he didn't make a big deal about it. And it's he said it didn't really limit him. I have a feeling if it really did limit him, he probably wouldn't say that it did. And I have a feeling if you want to believe in DK Metcalf, you're going to take this news and you're going to literally run with it or figuratively <laughs> run with it. I don't know. Metaphorically run with it and be like, see, it was the foot injury. But we'll get into him a little and bit later. practice every week. So, yeah. All right. Some of the best of the second half. We talked about Rashad Penny. Amonra St. Brown was on pace in his last six games. His 17-game pace was 190 targets, 144 catches, 1,587 yards, and 14 touchdowns. This is a guy who had double-digit targets in six straight games and was a fantasy MVP, Amandra St. Brown. Uh, we also wanted to highlight Penny, Singletary. I, you know, I have Hunter Renfro and Russell Gage here, but, but St. Brown deserves the, the spotlight, Dave, and... You know, he, he, who do you buy more, St. Brown or Penny, when you look at those finishes? St. Brown. Why? No hesitation. Well, because, first of all, he's a receiver and not a running back, which means that he's probably got a better chance to stay healthy. Just off the top of my head, it's it's what I'm going to go to with Penny every time. It's just reliability and the, the, the chance that he's out there playing for the majority of a season. I think St. Brown showed this coaching staff what he's capable of doing. Not that they're going to lean on him as much. Uh, what his targets per game down the stretch? Do we know what that is? Yeah, Did it was eleven point two. There's no way. Like I, I, you heard Lions receiver coach Antoine Randall said at the Senior Bowl, he wants to add like two or three more receivers to this offense. But I don't think they're going to do it to take St. Brown off the field. I think they like what he can do. They just want to get more weapons in the passing game, spread that ball around a little bit more. They're going to get T.J. Hawkinson back. Hawk wasn't there for much of any of this run by St. Brown. So I think that target volume is going to come back quite a bit. But even if it's coming back quite a bit, he proved that he's a good route runner. He proved that he can have a good catch rate. He can make plays after the catch. He even showed that he can make some deep plays if asked to. There's a lot of weapons in in his bag, and he could end up being a really useful player, especially in PPR leagues because of all those receptions that he gets. I'm, I'm buying. I think that he can continue to be not, I'm not buying at the level that he finished at, where top three receiver in fantasy, he's not going there. But as a number two fantasy receiver, I'm drafting him as such. I think that especially in PPR, he's got the shot to come right back, you know, put him at seven, eight, maybe some games with nine targets per game. 
I could see that happening, even with all the additions and returns that the Lions will get in that passing game, and even with Jared Goff, a quarterback. Remember, that's a team that's already got a good offensive line. So once they get that offensive line healthy and ready to go, uh, they're, they're going to be able to do what, what they want to uh, before games get out of hand, depending on how their defense is next year. St. Brown should have some good opportunities. So let me give you this stat, Jamie. Tell me, tell me what you think, this little laser stat. 11.2 targets per game and a 32% target share in those last six games during which he was, per game, third best in PPR, fifth best in non-PPR. Overall, he was top three in both formats, but per game he was top five. Let's just give him eight targets per game. That is a lot. I don't know if he's going to get that. That's 136 targets in 17 games. But if you just took his rates in those six games on 11.2 targets and you gave him eight targets per game, he would have been, on a per-game basis, wide receiver 17 in non-PPR and wide receiver 12 in PPR. Because doing what he did, if he had gotten eight targets per game, he still would have had 103 catches per per 17 games, 1,134 yards, 10 touchdowns. So just to put it in a bit of perspective, in his non-PPR pace would have been Adam Thielen. His full PPR pace would have been Mike Evans. But... Yeah, I don't know if he's getting eight targets per game, but still, it wasn't just the targets. He was really good, and he scored scored the touchdowns, too, five and six games. So you know, what do you think about that uh, projection? 103 catches, 1,134 yards, 10 touchdowns on 136 targets. As it stands right now for the Lions, I think that's doable. But I think if we do see them add two significant pieces at the receiver spot with Hawkinson back, with DeAndre Swift's healthy, remember, almost all of this came with Hawkinson not there, and Swift, you know, banged up for a good portion of it. And so, do they love him? Obviously. I mean, you know how I felt about him coming out of the draft. I thought this was going to be the, the, the this was the under-the-radar guy that we talked about, you know, at least I talked about, you know, based on the opportunity going to Detroit without the, you know, significant pieces there. Well, now they're going to probably add some significant pieces, and that's going to be the thing you have to keep an eye on for. So, there is a chance that he will be in the bust category because replicating this is so hard to do given that they're going to upgrade around him and get healthy around him. But there, there's a lot to like. Like Dave said, they're not taking him off the field. They're not finding replacements for Monroe St. Brown. He's clearly proven that he's a valuable commodity to this team. He's clearly proven that he's a go-to guy for Jared Goff. This offense showed definite signs of life as the season went on and as they started to get comfortable with each other and as the guys started falling apart, whether it was you know somebody like a Tyrell Williams and then Hawkinson and then Swift. But you're getting you know guys back in additions and so free agency will matter. The draft will matter. Um, you know, thankfully, it seems like every mock draft you see, at least at the top of the draft, they're not addressing offense. They're addressing defense. And that's a big need for them is they have to fix that defense. But here's the company that he kept, if you're just looking at it. This was something that uh, Mike Clay of ESPN just tweeted um, earlier this morning. And I think it's, uh, it, it's pretty noteworthy. Uh, you tell me, great receiver, not great receiver. And this is the company he's in. Michael Thomas? Which one? The Michael Thomas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. Receiver. Not the one who played Antonio in Antonio Brown. Sure, I only know great one receiver. Antonio Brown. Yeah, great receiver. Travis Kelsey. Yeah, Jason He's or good. Travis. Yeah, pretty Juan Bolden. Yeah, he was amazing. Wes Welker. He yeah. was very good. All great. Andre Johnson. Hall Never should be him. in the Hall of Fame. Marvin Harrison. Hall of Fame is Isaac in the Hall of Fame. Isaac Bruce. Two is first names. Only second best guy with two first names that I know. Larry Fitzgerald. Yes, it's decent. He was not bad. Calvin Johnson? <laughs> yeah. And what's so what set- does Monroe St. Brown have in common with yeah, all well, these guys? Well, that's what I want to know. 
Uh, all these guys, eight plus catches in five straight games. Wow. He's in, he's in that category. Now there's three other guys that you might say, okay, good, but you'd like to see him in that in, in the other side as opposed to these three. Uh, TJ Hushmanzada, Eric Moulds, and Mushi Muhammad. You know, so very good players. That's good. Yeah. Right, right, right. Good fantasy contributor. Very good. Very good. But not legendary like some of these yeah. other guys. <laughs> right. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, real quick, though, give me Amonra St. Brown or Michael Pittman. St. Brown. I believe I have St. Brown a little bit higher. Barring a uh, a quarterback change for the Colts. Amonra St. Brown or Amari Cooper. Is Cooper still in Dallas? Yes. Cooper. I have Cooper a little bit higher. Okay. As far as Hunter Renfro and Russell Gage. No, I don't. I've got Cooper lower. Sorry. St. Brown. Okay. As far as Renfro and Gage, you know, Renfro, he, he had three games all year with more than, seven, I don't know. He had 300-yard games, and they were all without Waller. Is there a reason to think Renfro is a different player than what he's been? You know, coming off a season where he was top 14 receiver overall, number 10 in PPR with 100, basically very similar to the projection I gave for Monroe St. Brown, not quite as good. 103 catches for Renfro last year, 1,038 yards, nine touchdowns, a ton of red zone and green zone targets. That was good. But Dave, I mean, is there anything to what we saw from Renfro after, after Ruggs, you know, unfortunate incident? I think he's going to continue to be a factor in the offense. The one thing that I loved, there's two things I love. The first thing is that something we saw, which is Derek Carr had no problem uh, targeting Renfro like crazy, especially when Waller was out. And even when Waller came back, Renfro had some good games. So reliable option. Derek Carr believes in him. Perfect type of slot receiver. The thing that we haven't seen but I'm going to buy into is that with Josh McDaniels calling plays, He's the, the track record of how slot receivers have done with Josh McDaniels and the inside out type of offense that he's typically ran with the Patriots. It leads me to believe that Renfro's got the upside of Wes Welker and uh, all the other slot receivers that was Julian Edelman that we've seen in New England that just continually find ways to get open and be the number one read in this type of an offense. And if it's Carr, who's the quarterback still in Las Vegas then we've got the quarterback who trusts the receiver and we've got the play caller who's going to draw plays for this specific type of wide receiver. So I'm definitely a fan of Hunter Renfro in PPR leagues. Okay, and Jamie, Russell Gage, his last seven games, he was on a 17-game pace of much better than Renfro, 109 catches, 1,365 yards, seven touchdowns. That was his 17-game pace for Russell Gage in his last seven games. And, yeah, I mean, that was really without a lot of pass attempts. Matt Ryan threw more than 33 passes in only one of those seven games. Uh, Obviously, no Calvin Ridley in that stretch, but what did you make of that finish for Gage? Uh, I don't really have much interest in Russell Gage. I I think, you know, you you look at what what role he filled. It was admirable. He did a great job, you know, stepping up for without Ridley there with, um, you know, Ryan being a little bit more comfortable, I think, with his offensive line, with his new offense, uh, you know, being forced to, you know, lean on him. Uh, he's a free agent. Uh, you know, I think wherever he lands, you know, he could be a, a good third receiver, maybe in some cases a good second receiver for whatever respective team he's on. But Russell Gage is still just a late-round fantasy pick at all. I don't really buy what he did last year as any indication of him doing anything of significance moving forward. We will I take a dig him. 
Real? Oh, real? okay. We won't take a break. I, I, I dig him in the context of when you get past the midway point of your fantasy draft and you're looking for quality depth, uh, assuming that he lands in a, sp- in a place where he's going to be able to play, looking up the exact same splits that we looked at for CeeDee Lamb, he, he had a better catch rate. He had caught at least 65% of his passes out wide, 75% in the slot. We knew him coming into last year as a really solid slot receiver option. He proved last season that he can also play out wide, so he's got that versatility. He's not an explosive player. He only had 16 explosive plays all year long, but I, I think that he can be a good contributor for fantasy managers, not someone that you're going to race up the board to get, but when you're in round 9, round 10, and you're looking, and this is for right now. Once we had rookies, he might fall down to round 11 or round 12. And I think that's kind of the area that Jamie was thinking about with Russell Gage, a good type of depth piece at wide receiver that you could plug into your lineup as a number three option, or at least a receiver with number three expectations. But I think he proved that he can play and be more than just a key backup role player type in the NFL. I think he'll end up being a starter somewhere in the NFL, and he'll end up being a bench piece for fantasy. And a name to keep in mind, Again, once you get to pick 100, he's going to be in that range. Right. Uh, yeah, not for me. Uh, uh, for Renfro, uh, I just did his numbers quickly. Uh, his first 10 games before, I don't know exactly what the timeline was, but it was the Dallas game, so it was the Waller uh, injury. Right. I don't know what, when exactly Ruggs was. Uh, the, the Giants team. game was the first without Ruggs. Okay, so this includes you know a couple games without Ruggs. So we just do his numbers over 10 games. He was on pace for 83 catches, 890 yards, and he had four touchdowns in those first 10 games. So... Hopefully the Josh McDaniels impact is a little bit better. Okay. I, I thought what was really interesting about uh, Renfro for me, well, first of all, they, the Raiders just threw the ball a lot more than they usually did. Uh, and Carr had a much better year than he usually has, about 30-ish, 20, 20 to 30 more passing yards per game uh, than the previous two seasons. But Renfro, he had more red zone targets and more green zone targets this year, this past year, than he had in his first two seasons combined. And you did see the touchdowns, but he just became a reliable guy for Carr near the end zone. Uh, That's a position that is of significant need, though, for them because Zay Jones is a free agent. Obviously, they have to replace Ruggs. So, again, we have to see what they do. Okay, we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, we'll talk about Ezekiel Elliott, actually, and how good he was before his knee injury and how bad he was after. Plus, uh, Michael Carter did not have a great finish and a few other players who were bad down the stretch. And... Do we buy it? Do we sell it? We'll tell you after this on Fantasy Football Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back, everybody. We got one more show this week. We're going to look at some crazy stats from 2021 and what they mean for 2022. But right now, let's talk about DK Metcalf. He headlines the bad down the stretch list or bad second half. Listen, you know, I, he kind of had a bad year. when you, He had three games all season with more than 65 yards. That is shocking. Yeah. And he had one catch of more than 41 yards. Does anybody remember the catch? Of, uh, yes. Right? Garbage. Should have been pass interference. He pushed off mm-hmm. on Marshawn Lattimore, ended up with yep. an 84-yard touchdown. If not for that play, he doesn't have a catch all year of more than 41 yards. In 2020, he had five catches that went for 41 or more yards 
and three more that went for 37 to 39 yards. So when you look at Metcalf, what is your diagnosis here? And is there any thought that maybe he's just so reliant on big plays that he's riskier than we thought? Dave, I'll give you the first word. I I think he should be more of a big play receiver because he's got that size-speed combination that we love. But he's also on a team that wants to be balanced and, and lean on the run. The thing that stands out to me about last year, first eight games, and I, this happened to him in 2020 as well, right, where he started off the year going crazy, and then the second half of the year, changes were made. Uh, this is in 2020. Changes were made to the offense. He wasn't nearly as good. He averaged over 17 PPR points per game in 2021, first eight games of the year. Then the Seahawks had their bye, and then he only had one game with more than 15 fantasy points the rest of the way. What scares me is that Russell Wilson in the second half of the year was pretty good. He had a lot of games north of 20 and 22 fantasy points per game in six-point-per-passing touchdown leagues. He wasn't amazing, but he was a startable fantasy quarterback, and he was getting it done without DK Metcalf having a huge role. Metcalf ended up being a very touchdown-reliant, we talked about the yardage already, uh, type of wide receiver. I'd love for him to become more than that. The fact that he hasn't yet does scare me off of him a little bit, but there's just it's it's obvious upside with him because if he can put it all together, we already know that he's a great red zone threat, great end zone threat. He just got to get more of those big plays and more of those big play opportunities for him to come through and be a potentially a top five fantasy wide receiver. It's going to be a little bit hard to do as long as Tyler Lockett's there because Lockett can do the exact same thing and he's proven it. He was the guy that Russell Wilson connected with the most really over the course of the season. And I'm there, there's some trepidation in drafting DK Metcalf. I don't really don't want to do it as a top 12 type of fantasy receiver. You know, Jamie, he's still got a lot more targets than Tyler Lockett. He was so much worse on a per target basis, but he still was the number one guy in terms of targets for Russell Wilson. I think pretty clearly. And that was a trend that started in the second half of 2020 and continued into 2021. So, I, yeah, well, give me your overall thoughts on on DK Metcalf, who in his last nine games, that was when Russell Wilson came back from the injury, he averaged 5.3 yards per target. That is awful. In those same nine games, Lockett only actually played eight of them, averaged 12.16 yards per target, more than double DK Metcalf. So the targets were there. He just was not coming up with the production. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about a down season for a 24, you know, will be 25 at the end of the 2022 season uh, that had 75 catches, 967 yards, and 12 touchdowns. If that's down, um, I'm buying all day. You know, so you saw what the upside was in, in his sophomore season, another double-digit touchdown campaign, over 1,300 yards. Um, is he going to be a 100-catch guy? Probably not. You know, you'd like to see that, but uh, easy top 10 wide receiver, love the upside, what he brings. Hopefully the foot injury was what was slowing him down. Uh, he has to get better. He has to develop his route tree. He has to, you know, do some different things as a player. Uh, but obviously with this quarterback, hopefully still the same. And what Russell Wilson does in terms of how he throws the ball down the field, those big plays will start to come back. They'll start to come back a little bit more consistently. Um, if somebody's selling in dynasty, you should be buying all day long because this guy's still got such superstar potential. And again, hopefully this foot problem that he's seemingly corrected, corrected early enough, will be the the cause of uh, or, or the the reason why he bounces back to the level that he's capable of because he's a star. Lockett or Lamb? Oh, sorry, Metcalf or Lamb? 
Metcalf. I believe I have Metcalf higher. Okay, Lockett or Lamb? I have Lockett higher. Uh, Lockett, Lamb. Metcalf, Lamb, and PPR. You go. You have Lockett ahead of Metcalf. Yeah, just because I I love the connection with Russ. Okay, still hey, gets a lot of yards. Jamie, Lockett. how about you? You have Metcalf ahead a lot of Lockett, I assume. Uh, no, I like both, but Metcalf ceiling is certainly much higher, so I'll take Metcalf. Okay. All right, tell me if you guys care about this. Ezekiel Elliott, first five games, average 5.3 yards per carry. was on pace for 289 carries, 1,537 yards rushing, not to mention 31 catches, and 17 rushing touchdowns in his first five games. He was terrific. He was certainly deserving of a top five pick. It was, you know, I think a lot of us settled on him at number five by the end of the season, by the end of the draft process. Uh, last 12 games, 3.6 yards per carry, down, point, down from 5.3. I gave that stat the start of the show. He had one carry in his last 12. All right, it's a little deceiving, so hold on. His last 12, <laughs> including the postseason, what I told you, the 3.6 yards per carry, that was the last 12 of the regular season. The first game of that stretch, he had a 20-yard carry. After that, he had one carry rest of season of more than 13 yards. It doesn't matter. We saw it with our own eyes. He wasn't right. He wasn't himself. How much can we look at the injury, Jamie, and say, Ezekiel Elliott, hey, if he's right, he could be that top five running back that he was in the first five games of the season. Um, but when he's not right, obviously, which has been two years in a row and he's played through injuries, you know, he's <laughs> kind of sucks. Uh, what do you think? I think he's getting to the point of breaking down. That's, you know, just the sad part about it, that the workload that he had early in his career is catching up to him a little bit. The The body's not the same. You know, he was in great shape. You know, we saw it in hard knocks. You know, he he looked awesome uh, compared to what he was maybe last year in, in you know, I, I know I said this going into the season that, you know, when you go to work knowing that Dak Prescott's not there, offensive line was falling apart, you know, everything that happened to him in 2020, that he was going to be hopefully rejuvenated with his best friend back and, you know, things seemingly on track for this Cowboys team. And it started to play itself out early in the season, but he just couldn't handle it for whatever reason, whether it was the knee, whether it was just, you know, the, the burst is gone. Uh, this feels very Todd Gurley-esque you know, of a, a superstar player that just is crashing uh, very, you know, I don't want to say early in his career, but, you know, he's he's only going to be 27 by the time the season starts. Mm. And so you got to start to be a little bit concerned that maybe we have to uh, adjust our thinking on 30 is not the point when these running backs start to break down. In some cases, it could be, you know, 26, 27, 28, and maybe Ezekiel Elliott's just in that category. So he's not going to be a first-round pick ever again. Uh, I doubt you'll see him go in the second round. I think the third round is probably where you're going to see him go because people are going to look and say, still the lead running back for the Cowboys, but how much longer will he be the lead running back for the Cowboys if Tony Pollard continues to look more explosive? So uh, this this feels like a dead zone running back. And, you know, somebody that I think if he falls to the right spot, depending on how you build your team and what, you know, he looks like this offseason, then maybe you'll buy back in. But for the most part, I think it's a, a guy you want to avoid and just some, uh, un, until you're, you know, at that cutoff point of, okay, now I'll take a chance, but taking a chance hesitantly as opposed to optimistically. He went similarly to Aaron Jones, I believe, in a late in a recent draft. Dave, who would you prefer, Zeke or Jones? Mm-hmm. Jones. Because I, I can believe that Jones can still be an, an effective and explosive 1A running back in his offense, particularly an offense that might go very run-heavy if Aaron Rodgers doesn't end up staying in Green Bay at this point. We're expecting Rodgers to be there. I think that's going to be just fine for Aaron Jones, and I still think he's the better running back between him and A.J. Dillon. When I look at Zeke, I, you think about the body of work and the age. 
Um, I look at the total touches that he had, and just in the regular season, he's over 1,900 career touches. I know that he's been dialed back in terms of touches over the last few seasons. His, his yards per game has dropped really uh, a large amount. 2019, 84.8 rushing yards per game. That fell to 65.3 in 2020. That fell to 58.9, not even 60 rush yards per game in 2021. If he comes to training camp, and he doesn't look like the Zeke of old, old, meaning 2019 or before, then this coaching staff's going to say, and this is assuming that Tony Pollard comes to camp and he looks good, they're going to start to think about using these guys in even more of a split than what we saw toward the end of last season. So I'm kind of I'm more excited to draft Pollard a few rounds later than where we're going to see Ezekiel Elliott go. And there was a part of me that wanted to really be bold in my rankings and put Pollard ahead of Zeke thinking that Pollard will end up being the better running back in Dallas. But I don't think I have to draft it that way. I don't think I have to rank it that way. But I can certainly target Pollard and and bet on Zeke not being effective or lasting long in this Cowboys run game, and that Pollard eventually does take over and gets a little bit more work than what we saw last year, and Zeke's work comes down. I assume Pollard would still be behind A.J. Dillon, though? Yes. Okay. Uh, This is as of now. So Dylan, in this scenario, Dylan would still be the highest drafted. Maybe Kareem Hunt. I don't know if he's back with the Browns. Uh, you know, number two running back. Who's the first tandem running back that gets drafted? Dylan. That's uh, Pollard for me. Oh, really? It's, it's Dylan for me. Interesting. Yeah, and that's that's obviously you know depending on what happens with Aaron Rodgers. Okay, I have two more players on the list: Devontae Smith and Michael Carter. Now, Devontae Smith is really just a targets thing. They changed their offense, went very run-heavy, started with the Lions game, and they were one of the better teams in football just record-wise in that stretch when they just basically became the Ravens of the NFC East. And that was nine games for Smith, not including Week 18 where he played 19% of the snaps because they were just playing their backups. In his last nine games, he was on pace for 89 targets in 17 games. So I I don't think we have a problem with Smith's talent here or anything like that. It's simply the targets and the offense. What, you know, can he overcome this? Uh, Dave, you can have the first word on Devontae Smith. When would you draft him? And you know, there's a lot of questions here, but do you still think he has elite upside, Devontae Smith? Uh, I think he's got the talent. I'm worried about the quarterback, and I'm now worried about the offense because the Eagles after what they experienced this year, I think they know that they need to make improvements in their passing game, but they've got to be so confident in their ability to run the football. And I think they're going to stick with that for as long as they can. And it might end up being for a while because they're pretty good at running the football and they're pretty good at identifying running backs that can help them run the football. And I I, I am worried about the target share and targets overall for Devontae Smith. Great talent as a wide receiver, still love him. But it's not just the fact that he's not a candidate for 120 targets. How many of the targets that he will get are going to be catchable? And I think that's going to be an issue where if he were playing with a great quarterback and and someone that was just a great thrower, I don't think we'd think about it at all. But because Jalen Hurts has been inconsistent as a thrower, it is a concern. And so I've got him as a round six pick right now in PPR. And I don't love it. I really don't. I, I'm I'm nervous that that might be even a little too high for a guy as talented as Smith is. Jamie, I assume I'm on with St. Brown's ahead of Devontae Smith. Yes, uh, but this this is such a 
off season to follow because you know they're in the Deshaun Watson conversation. Sure. Um, they just lost Brandon Books. The, they might lose Jason Kelsey. You know, so what's this offensive line going to look like? Will they have as much success running the ball? And do they need to throw the ball a little bit more and be a little bit more balanced? Um, that's the next evolution of what obviously they're going to have to get from Jalen Hurts if he stays there. Do they invest? You know, in their skill positions um, with those three picks. You know, in the first round. You know, do they go out and get another wide receiver? after drafting, you know, one each of the last two seasons. And, you know, you can say, you know, potentially that they whiffed on both those guys, you know, not necessarily putting it on Devontae Smith per se, but, you know, when you're not getting the production from that spot after Jalen Rager was a flop and then Smith just did not have that type of season, um, you know, are they a little gun shy to, to go out and invest there? Or do they go maybe the more veteran route, maybe get it, you know, a, a proven commodity and that impacts Smith as well. So there's just so much, I think, to keep an eye on here with this team. Now, every mock draft you see, is they're investing on either defense or their offensive line, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but in any event, you know, if they if they do decide to change the quarterback, uh, which I think Watson's the only really significant upgrade out there, uh, barring a Rodgers or, or Russell Wilson, um, or do they, you know, add add other pieces there? So I I think it's a wait and see approach for Devontae Smith. If things stay the same, you know, it's just it's a defensive heavy draft for them. It's an offensive line slanted draft in some capacities and it's you know Jalen Hurts and Smith as the lead guy I think you should still consider him a very high-end number three wide receiver with the chance to take a step forward in his second season I don't know how you guys quantify catchable targets but without going back and looking at every single target one of the things that I'll do is I'll find how many catches a receiver has how many drops a receiver has I'll add those two numbers together I'll divide that by the number of targets and that gives me the type of rate that I'll believe a receiver had catchable targets. For Devontae Smith, this past season, it was 64.5%. That's low. You expect that number to be significantly higher for pretty much any receiver in the NFL. Mm. Yeah, definitely needs better quarterback play, but also <laughs> needs more targets. Is that just, you know, I don't it's want him double, to be, It's a bad double whammy. I don't want him to be Marquise Brown, you know, because just not enough volume there for Brown to ever really broken out until this year, and then he just... Did, he did it for about half the season. He was almost on this list, by the way. Uh, Michael Carter was the last guy I wanted to talk about here. I, I think it was just more, I think we were disappointed in his role when he came back from the injury because uh, Robert Sala was talking like Michael Carter was going to get right back into being a feature back with a heavy workload, and it did not really happen. He was trending that way before his injury, which happened in week 11. And then last five game, last four games, he had eight, 16, 3, and 9 carries. So, Jamie, where are you drafting Michael Carter right now? Uh, round 3, 4 range, you know, depending on how the running backs come off the board. Round, what'd you say, round 3, round 4? Mm-hmm. Pretty, that's pretty aggressive, I'd say. I think he's a good player. I think this is a team that's going to take a step forward as well. You know, I, I like the... Uh, the way that the offensive line, I think, is going to take shape again. You know, this is a, a good unit that we saw some signs of last year. I think Zach Wilson gets better. Um, you know, yes, the the play from Zach Wilson needs to improve. Relying on his backs as weapons needs to improve. I think we saw some of that toward the end of the season. You know, I'm not going to penalize Carter so much for coming back from the injury, uh, especially those final two games when he's playing Tampa Bay and Buffalo following the Jacksonville game. You know, so, um, you know, you look at those two run defenses and just the – I'm sure the game plan going into it was not necessarily to, uh, you know, let's, let's try and run it down their throats. Now, you'd like to see more than three carries against Tampa Bay. Uh, but in any event, you know, I think Michael Carter certainly showed 
flashes of being a very good player, uh, very good number two running back coming into the season. So again, I'd prefer to get him around four, but if we do see a very heavy running back draft, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes around three. I would probably not. I, I'll, I'll take that back. I'm not going to draft him until round four. Okay. I thought he was going to be more like a round five, six guy, uh, guy for you, fellas. Dave, how about you? I've got him in round five for now. I'm excited about him. It's a double-edged sword being a running back on the Jets. The positive is that we've seen Carter play well. As of now, he's the best talent in that backfield. And we've seen the coaches give him, especially late in the year when he was healthy, they gave him a game or two, I believe, with 70-plus percent of the snaps. Uh, we've talked about the Jets' offensive line already a lot on this pod. I, I I think that he's got the chance to prove that, again, that he can be a really good lead back for the Jets. But we also know that as good of a, of a focal point the run game is for this Jets' brain trust, they also come from San Francisco. They like to use multiple backs. So I don't know how often he's going to be in a situation where he's getting 70% of the snaps, 75% of the snaps, 20 touches per game. That holds me back just a little bit. Love the talent. I know that he can be a good three-down player. I wish he was a better pass blocker in his rookie year because I think that would have earned him even more run for next season. But I'm I'm happy to take him in round five. I'm not ready to take him in round four, at least not in full PPR. <laughs> one, one other thing. 36 catches for Michael Carter in 14 games. And 21 of the 36 came in <laughs> three games. Yeah. With Mike White. There was in one more game that Mike White played, but only threw 11 passes at Indianapolis. And he came out, and uh, but and Carter only had one catch in that game. But he just did not catch passes from Zach Wilson. Certainly not saying that would continue, but it's, it's just, it is worth noting. 21 of his 36 catches came in three games. And in those three games, Mike White threw almost all the passes. Zach Wilson threw something like 10 before getting hurt in the first of those games. But... Uh, that was fun. That was a fun. Is Mike White starting this week? Just fire up Ty Johnson and Michael Carter in your PPR leagues. All right, that's it for today's show, guys. Good stuff. Good stuff. Se- great second half of this show. So hopefully we'll carry that momentum into our Thursday episode uh, with Chris and Heath, I believe. We'll talk about who's on that show, Shrag. Yeah, Chris and Heath. Chris and Heath. We'll talk about uh, some wacky stats. From 2021. I always love those types of shows. Going to borrow some stats from Dave. He's got wacky stats coming out his ears. All right. We'll be uh, we'll be back on Thursday. Check out Fantasy Football Today in 5. And download the CBS Sports app. And have a great day, everybody. See you later.